From Innovation Alley at Marquette University, I'm Chuck Swoboda, and this is Innovators on Tap, a show based on the idea that innovation is about leadership. It's a mindset to find a better way, and ultimately, it's about people. These conversations are designed to allow you to open your mind to new ideas and find ways to put those concepts to work. Together, we can solve big problems and maybe even change the world. So you're walking down the street and you realize that you're hungry. There are so many options. How do you decide? For me these days, I generally ask myself, what is a healthy option? And while this is a practical way to think about food, I sometimes find myself craving something special from my past. One of my all-time favorites is an Italian-style sub made on great Italian bread. While there are many options on the East Coast for a good sub, my choices growing up in the Midwest were much more limited. My go-to was the special from Cousin Subs, which was started in 1972 by two cousins in Milwaukee who longed for the taste of subs they grew up with on the Jersey Shore. Now you're probably wondering what this has to do with innovation. Well, like any business, consumer tastes and trends are always changing. As Christine Specht, CEO of Cousin Subs said in this episode, you have to continue to evolve or you start to die in the vine. Christine grew up making subs working for her dad in one of his restaurants and is now leading the company through a rebranding to position the company for the next 20 years. Cousins has grown from that first restaurant to 100 restaurants across the Midwest. We talk about what it's like to take over for a founder while maintaining the brand and the transition from a manager of process to the leader of the company. We also learn that we share a common appreciation for Tom Clancy, who said, there are two kinds of people, the ones that need to be told and the ones who figure it out all by themselves. That's what's on tap today. Enjoy. Christine, welcome and thank you for being on Innovators on Tap today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. I want to start with when I was in college, I'd walk down to the local Cousin Subs and I'd order something called the Cousin Special. Now, this is about 30 years ago. Does that sub still exist? It still exists, right. And it's uh, it's certainly part of our menu. It hasn't changed. It's been uh, something that was one of the original subs that when my dad and his cousin founded Cousins, he had it on the menu because that was reminiscent of the types of subs that they would have in Atlantic City. The thing that was really critical to him, though, was making sure that the bread was done right. So making sure that it was that true Italian bread. So it's a little bit tender on the inside, crust on the outside. And that has been the hallmark of our brand. So the name, Cousin Subs, what's the background? Right. So my dad and his cousin started Cousin Subs. So it's very straightforward, uh, yet ha- is one of the most often asked questions I can get. So I know you worked in one of the stores growing up, and then you go off and you get a degree, I think, in criminology, and you become a caseworker in Florida. Did you think early on you were ever going to come back and work for the family business? You know, with family businesses, there's really some interesting dynamics there, especially as you look at that next generation. And oftentimes the founders, that first generation, they may have a preconceived notion of what the business will be like as their child is running it, right? And that may or may not be the dream of the child. It was after I graduated from American University with my master's in public administration, I landed a job at the Legislative Audit Bureau in Madison because I wanted to come back home or to Wisconsin. And I was there for about a year. And then it was at that time that 
Cousins was launching their HR department. My parents talked to me about, you know, an opportunity to come back and work for the family business if I wanted that. And I did. I, I wanted to get back home and I thought that would be an interesting challenge. So you come back and you're the daughter of one of the founders. An advantage or a disadvantage to come back into the company? Um, I would say that it probably was an advantage because people gave me a chance, whether they felt that they had to or they just did because they were gracious. You know, I guess you could have to ask them. But because, you know, what I didn't have was a business degree with a focus in human resources, right? So you kind of have to, we, I had to work through that. How do you become qualified to run HR when you don't, you're not an HR practitioner? So I think that being the owner's daughter was helpful. And you've said something um, where you talk about how you like to go back into the restaurants and, and work at the register from time to time. And I used to love being in the plant every day as we were running the company. And and when I became CEO, I still thought of everyone the same way, but they didn't see me the same way. And I really struggled with that for a long time. I'm curious, when you're back out there working at the register, how do you how do you manage that tension of, you used to do that job, but they think of you differently. I work in our restaurants at least uh, almost on a weekly basis. It's just putting their minds at ease to know that I'm a regular person, even though I'm the CEO, right? I, and I know it's so it probably sounds ridiculous, but it's it's they're very nervous uh, at first, and then you know then it becomes easier. They realize I'm a normal person. I'll make mistakes, you know. I'll I'm at the register usually. Right. So I'm a lot of guest interaction. And then, you know, and I don't go there to take over the shift or to tell, find out what's going wrong. I'm there in a culture building and relationship building role. So you've said that your dad was an entrepreneur and you are a manager of processes and systems. What's the difference? I didn't start the business. My dad was kind of that person who had this dream, right? You know, and he, he wanted to open up a restaurant just to support his family. He didn't think about you know, are we going to have 100 stores one day, that sort of thing. So for me, and taking over, uh, it's really about, you know, continuing to run the organization, sticking true to the values that we have. But it's it's a lot of process. And it's a lot of consistency, because you have all these units that have to operate in sync so that the guest experiences the same uh, thing in no matter which restaurant they go to. So you know, the podcast is really about the mindset behind innovation and leadership and, and how how people deal with that. And I define innovation as new, solves a problem, and it creates value. So just new, I don't call an innovation. I don't think many people would put sandwich shops on the list of things that are innovative. Just thinking about how you define innovation, right? New solves a problem and brings value. Well, I think about what we just launched right now, which was our subs in a bowl, right? So what is it? Well, it's basically you can get any sub that you want uh, in a bowl without the bread on, you know, a nice fresh spring mix, right? Is it that crazy of a thought? No, it's not. But what it does, it's new to us. It solves a problem in that what do we, because I get asked all the time, what are you going to do for gluten-free? What are you going to do? I, you know, I'm trying to cut carbs out. And you can't be all things to all people. And we we really, we understand that. 
But what it can do is by offering something like that, it can prevent the veto vote, right? So if you're in a family, say a family or a group of four, and one person's like, no, I, I can't, I'm not eating a sandwich, so we're not going to Cousins, this can help to change that, right? You know, and say, well, you can't you can actually have a great meal at Cousins and meet your dietary needs. So the innovation maybe isn't always to do with technology, as so much of innovation is, you know, as it's weighed and considered. Sometimes it's just making about some changes to think about, well, how can you continue to bring value to your guests? Yeah, using my definition, the idea of selling a sandwich without the bread would be much more innovative than the technology. So I, I'm a very technology agnostic, even though that's the business I came from. I think of innovation as really this mindset. So, you know, a lot of businesses uh, are faced with challenges of where they're really good at something. You know, you've built an expertise over some period of years. And so you've got this business that's built around this brand and the brand's about the bread. I'm curious, was it a difficult conversation, maybe either within your team or I can imagine with your dad? I, I mean, at some point, was there any resistance to this idea that Cousin Subs was going to make subs without bread? You know, I think the the emotional bridge was easier to cross because we would hear feedback from our consumers. Consumers are very smart. They, they want what they want, how they want it, when they want it. In no way do I think that we are somehow trampling on what made the brand great. It's really just saying, well, how can we make it fit in the kind of the bandwidth of more consumers? So one of my beliefs is that the things that make us good at managing something, process, really get in the way of the behaviors that typically are what drive innovation. How do you think about that? A couple things come to mind. One is, you know, you that's why you test. The other piece is it's really understanding people's roles and their areas of expertise. It's very difficult to be a visionary and be the big picture thinker and kind of that, you know, the innovator, I guess, if you will, part of the brand. And then also like start nailing down those processes and, and making sure that everybody's doing what they can do. Those are two different people oftentimes. And we thought, well, we're going to split that up. Do you think of yourself more as a manager or as a leader? And how do you distinguish those two concepts? Now, I definitely think of myself as a leader. And, you know, at one time was more of a manager because I was doing that role, you know, kind of dual role where you just had, you were forced into the weeds more. You just had to look at the details. Somebody has to look look at the details. You've said that you have to be willing to take risks and you have to be engaged with growth or you become a brand of the past. What does risk look like for you at Cousins or what does it look like for the business? I think that especially with a brand that is public facing and where there's guest expectations, there, you have to continue to evolve or you do start to die in the vine. And I think that was in a, Cousins was in that situation around 2011, 2012, uh, where the brand, the environment wasn't as appealing. There wasn't a cohesive look. Uh, there was, you know, the, the advertising was, you know, not the best. And so, and, and yet at the same time, the brand was still profitable. We still had success. We had a loyal brand following. So there's all these great things, right? But was you, but I felt like it was important to look at well, what's the future going to hold and can we sustain that success with what we currently have? I didn't think so. So then we needed to look at a rebranding program and making sure that it was something that we felt would help launch us into the next 20 years. What's the best part of being the CEO? 
Well, the first thing that just came to mind when you asked that was the people, right? I just love the interaction I have with people. I love the, the ability to talk about the brand in a really authentic way. I love to be able to talk about our values, what's important to us, how we roll, um, you know, what our mission statement is and things like that, because it's all very authentic. You know, one of the things we realized even in the branding was that we have a story to tell and it's a it's a real story, right? There really were two cousins, you know, and really humble beginnings and it's been successful. We still believe in the quality of the brand, the product, and the ability for it to grow. So it's just really being able to communicate that on a regular basis to inspire others, to connect with my office staff, to connect with my store staff. I mean, it's, you know, I hopefully after those interactions, they're, you know, they go home to their families and they say, I had a pretty good day today, you know. Christine and I had lunch or, you know, she worked in my restaurant and, you know, and I think she really gets it. So, um, you know, hopefully they see that as a CEO. <laughs> What's the worst part? The worst part is probably trying to fit it all in, uh, in, in the schedule. So even now I'm, you know, trying to just plan out all my in-store activities, franchise visits, that sort of thing, meeting. And, and it's funny how, you know, it becomes, your schedule becomes quickly filled. And I do have yet my young boys, right? So, I mean, I'm certainly a, a mom and, and a wife and I'm, you know, I, 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 I'm not absentee from those roles. So it's important to make sure that I'm balancing the home with the work and really, and and this position is, has allowed me to do that. I have the right people in place. I don't feel like I have. I'm not certainly not having to do everything at the office, at the company. I'm really smart people. I try to hire people that are smarter than me, especially when it comes to fields that I'm not, you know, brilliant in. So, which is most of them. So, you know, it's making sure that I have the people and the support staff to be able to balance all that. If you look back to your time. You started your career as a caseworker and you, this legislative assistant. And is there something you took from that that you're using today? I think what I learned, uh, particularly as I think about being that caseworker in Florida, was that certainly there's it's it's a big world out there, and my little world is just one small part of it. So, meaning to say that it's all about perspective. And the more perspective I can learn about other people's uh, lives and their experiences and what influences them, I think helps me be more well-rounded, right? It's not the world according to Christine. It's the world according to the individual. So how do you how do you um, appreciate that and, and work with that? What's your biggest failure? My biggest failure is maybe not speaking up and speaking my mind uh, fast enough when it comes to making decisions within the company. And maybe it's not so much a singular failured moment. Maybe it's really more of an ongoing um, trait that I have that I continue to get feedback on. It's like, we want to know what's on your mind, you know. So because I try to be diplomatic, um, maybe build consensus, which as a leader that you'll never have, you'll, you'll never or rarely will get all, you know, consensus. So... You know, but at that, it's that desire to make sure that everybody feels that they're heard. But at the end of the day, I need to really speak my mind. The team is looking up to me on where they want me to take the company and how they want to support me in that. So I need to make sure that they understand entirely where I want that to go. So why do you think you sometimes hesitate to do that? Because that's not uncommon. I work with a lot of leaders here uh, in a program, and, and there's this tendency for some to feel like, 
I'm not sure I want to share what I'm thinking at this moment or put it out there. And uh, so what do you think that is that gets in your way? For me, it's about making sure that I have the information that is that I need to have to make a qualified decision or having a qualified opinion on something, right? I can easily gutturally say, well, that seems like a crazy idea or that's a great idea, you know, or why aren't we doing this? But it's really about understanding the facts behind it. So it's not wanting to speak too quickly. And it's also probably about wanting to make sure that emotions are controlled. At the same time, though, I think that it's important to say what's on your mind, even if it's say, hey, I don't I don't have all the answers or all the facts right now, but this is in- instinctively what I'm thinking because so often your instincts are right. I was talking to one of these students and said, look, I don't want to put myself out there if I'm not really sure what I have to say is correct. But if you don't put it out there, you don't get the benefit of those around you. I mean, the group typically helps you figure out pretty quickly if you're on the right track or not. It's not so much about me being wrong because I'm I'm making mistakes every single day of my life. So it's not like like I could never suggest something that isn't right. It's just just making sure that you, you feel like you have the adequate information. But at times you just can't, right? You have to just put something out there. So you're going to interview someone to come work for you on the team at Cousins. What's your favorite question to ask them to get to know them? I love that question because I do interview every person that works at the support center. I'm always, they cannot be hired at the support center without having an interview with me. I, and I, and then by and large, I'm asking them about, you know, I talk to them about my, our values and what's important in our culture. And can you live with that? Cause it's not for everybody, but I always ask them what kind of sub they eat. And it's just interesting to me because I can get to know a little bit about them. Uh, and it's, and I, I get to know, I, I don't know, it's just in my own way. I can determine too that, you know, I, I can tell the people that are real passionate about the brand and they, they want that job because they like that particular, cause that's their field, but they also really love the brand versus the ones that that are applying for a particular job because that's their field, but they don't maybe really care much about the brand, right? And that's not who I'm looking for. So I I do always ask that question. That's awesome. Let's say you want to do something really innovative. And and I'll give you an example. The um, I'm an investor in uh, in a brewery. And one of the big trends is hard seltzer. And if we would have tried to test it, our customer wouldn't have said, yeah, we love it. In fact, they would have said, why would you do that? Yet it's the fastest growing segment. And so how do you test something that someone can't imagine is possible? Hilarious that you just were talking about hard seltzer because I've got a leadership team guy who went from beer to hard seltzer and we just, you know, we kind of make fun of him for it. But, you know, he's a complete convert. So if you test that, you know, would you've gotten the results that you wanted? Well, maybe not. Sometimes maybe you just can't test it, right? And that's where you have to weigh your risk. How much investment are you putting towards something? Are you willing to put something out there that's not fully and perfectly tested? Because we certainly don't have the resources to do that compared to some of our very large competitors. Um, but you can still get a microcosm, and it may be really small, right? You know, hard seltzer didn't just come out nationally. It started somewhere. It's no different for us. You have to start somewhere, get a feel for it, and think, all right, is this going to be worth the investment to launch on a system-wide level? So have you ever thought about taking, you know, taking your test kitchen concept, but instead of making it the test kitchen, you go somewhere downtown and you buy a shop and you open up with a different brand on it and just try radically different products. We certainly have looked at how can we expand our kind of our our reach, right? And 
But at the end of the day, we do look at our values and what's important to us. And so, and we would say, you know, the heart of our business is, you know, we make it better through the continual improvement in everything we do. That's our mission. That's kind of why we're doing that. But what we do is we make subs. It's just a matter of weighing your risks. What is the cost of that startup? How much competition is there? Do you continue to expand on what you currently have? Or do you really try to look for some green field? One of the things I learned, though, is that the person that's good at delivering that experience that you deliver today, that consistency that takes care of that customer, I've never found that person to be the same person that can go out and come up with that idea that no one else is working on. They're typically two different people. Do you think your team is designed to do both or is it really designed to run a great business? That's a great question. And a lot of what we talked about uh, is related to this, again, these roles that we play, right? Because you're exactly right. You know, the person's coming up with the idea. Are they going to be able to execute it? And those often aren't the same people. So that's where I feel a lot of responsibility on myself to be the visionary and to come up with the next thing and to be able to say, hey, we should really look at this. And then for the team to say, yeah, that's a ridiculous idea or that really seems exciting. Let's try to see if we can't launch that. Because I think there's a little bit of entrepreneurial spirit in each one of my team members. They're, They're passionate about what they're doing at Cousins. They love the job. They are connected to my father who still, while retired, comes to the office. They have a special relationship with him and It's great because he still is so entrepreneurial in how he thinks. So he keeps us all sharp in that way. He'll say something that's like, oh, yeah, that's that's a good point, Dad. I think that our team is set up as long as we each kind of go after the roles, namely holding myself accountable to say, hey, what making sure that I am challenging the team on what that next visionary thing could be. What, you know, what's the next hard seltzer that's going to come out? (laughs) Advice for young entrepreneurs. It would be to surround yourself with really great people, uh, you know, and, and oftentimes an entrepreneur is starting off by themselves. So they're, they have to do it all, right? But if you're in that position, you have that luxury of having a second or a third or, you know, a 15th employee or something like that as you're growing your business, it's really trying to get people that are, that are just the, the best that you can afford. And they have to share your vision and they have to share your passion for whatever it is that you're doing. But I mentioned it earlier, it's really hiring people that are smarter than you in their chosen field because you can't do it all, even if it is your baby or your concept. I understand that you're a Tom Clancy fan, and I'd like to know what is your favorite Tom Clancy book? That's so funny. Oh, my gosh. Where you find your information. I happen to be Uh, a big Tom Clancy fan. So when I read it, it resonated with me. And I was just curious what your favorite book was. Well, it's been a while since I've read a Tom Clancy book. But I'll tell you, I've always loved the it's like the classics, uh, you know, like Clear and Present Danger. I They're just, you know, the sum of all fears was okay. But it was really uh, Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger. I loved those. And I loved those also as movies. And Back in the day before I had kids and around, you know, I would probably put those in and, you know, while I was doing my Saturday chores or something like that. Now the kids are a little young for that, so it's going to be a while before they see Tom Clancy movies. But, uh, yeah, I, that that's great. That's a great reminder. I had to start picking up another book again. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure having you today. Uh, I will put it on my list of things to do in the next few days. I'm going to go back and get a cousin special. And uh, thank you for being here. We wish you the best of luck. And uh, it's really exciting to hear what you're doing. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much. I have had so much fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks. 
Thanks to Christine Specht for joining me on Innovators on Tap and sharing her honest insight on her own leadership opportunities and challenges. Christine's advice to young entrepreneurs was great. You can't be afraid to share your thoughts, even if you aren't sure if they are 100% accurate. The reason you surround yourself with smart people is they are able to give you great feedback on your ideas and together you can grow those ideas into something transformational. If you don't speak your mind, how can you ever expect your team to follow? If you found value in this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues because I think we all know of things that could use some innovative thinking. Please feel free to contact us through our website at www.innovatorsontap.com. We're always open to new ideas or critical feedback. My belief as an innovator is anything you do today can be done better tomorrow. Thanks for joining us on this journey, and let's go change the world.